0: Over the course of everyone's life, there's going to be stories, episodes, anecdotes, things that happen to you that are going to make a very big impression upon you. I want to begin by sharing something that I personally experienced when I was 18 years old. That's something which has kind of accompanied me throughout my life ever since. And I think till this day, it's a very vivid experience that I think has Affected my thinking in a lot of different areas in life. So when I was 18, I was in yeshiva in Brooklyn, and around Purim time, towards the end of the semester, I went to Israel. My family was living in Israel at the time, and uh, they were there, primarily because my grandfather, a blessed memory, Rabbi Shlomo Wolby, was living in Israel, and he was very old. He was he was 90 years old, and for that half a year. He was very sick and very ill, and he had a very hard time sleeping, and it was a lot of pain, and in fact, he even curtailed some of his activities in his yeshiva. He would stop going so often, and they would have uh, davening prayer in his house, but he had a very hard time sleeping. So when I got there, Purim time, this is exactly a month before he was nifted, before he passed away. So this month is a very uh, transformative time in my life, but specifically one night, that I got to spend with him in his home. So because he had such a hard time sleeping, you know, he would wake up multiple times throughout the night. My grandmother, she should live and be well. She wasn't able to handle it. It was too much too much for her to deal with. So every night, they would have a different grandchild, a grandson or a granddaughter, that would stay with them in their home in Jerusalem overnight to spend the night with them and to tend to my grandfather wherever he needed. So I had the privilege one night towards the end of his life to spend with my grandfather in his home. Uh, and I was there overnight in case he wakes up to help him, to help him get up, to help him move around. It was very hard for him to maneuver, uh, to get dressed. I, that, that was my job. And I was very worried that, you know, I, I'm a somewhat of a deep sleeper. And I was worried that if I go to sleep... He's going to wake up and I'm not going to hear him. It's going to be a disaster. So the whole night I was up. That's why it's so memorable to me. And I was going through his library and there was one part of his library, one bookshelf that was like forbidden. But there was no one watching. And I was 18 and I was kind of curious. So I kind of went through and looked at all these interesting stuff that I can't share about. But anyhow, something happened at 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning, I hear my grandfather stirring. And I go to him. And my grandmother was in the other room because he, you know, so I was there. And I go to him, I say, Saba in Hebrew, what can I do for you? What's that? What time is it? I said to him, Saba, it's three in the morning. There's four and a half hours left till Shachris. He tells me, I want, I, wa- I want to get up. I want to get ready for chakras, for davening, for the morning prayers. I said to him, Saba, it's it's the middle of the night. You're very tired. Go back to sleep. Fine, he goes back to sleep. Half hour later, he wakes up. He's a time to daven yet. And I said to him, no, it's three thirty in the morning. It's still, we still have four hours. It's a long time. At four o'clock, he wakes up and he insists, I'm getting up and I'm going to wait to Davin in three and a half hours. And I remember this so vividly. It was like the night before you go to the amusement park or the night before you have to like, you can't sleep. He, he was so excited to pray to Davin in the morning that he could not sleep. And he was, he woke up and he was up at, at four, and I helped him get dressed. It's like took a half hour because it was so difficult. Everything, every movement was so painful for him. And then he got all dressed. And it's, it's four in the morning. I'm thinking how ridiculous this is. And he's sitting in his foyer, which is a room the size of one of these chairs, tiny room, and he's all dressed, and he's waiting to dive in in three and a half hours. And to me, like this was the first time I saw someone who when they were praying or when they were anticipating prayer, it was something so exciting that they couldn't literally sleep through the night. They were so excited. Now, just as a post trip, what actually happened was it was like five or six. He was so exhausted. He fell asleep sitting there waiting and he ended up missing chakras. That's a separate part of the story. But to me, like this was like a moment in time that you see someone, you know, who's 90 years old, who's extremely ill, who has, he didn't know it. I didn't know it but less than a month left to live, and he wants, he's so anticipating to pray in the morning, he literally can't sleep through the night. The Mishnah tells us, in Perti Avos, it goes through uh, the stages of someone's life. When someone's three, they learn this. When someone's five, when someone's ten, when someone's... So what does it say when someone's 90? Ben tishim Sicha. Sicha means conversation. So the commentaries explain that at the age of 90... When someone prays, it's like they're having a conversation with God. It's so natural. If you had an appointment with the president in the morning, it would be something that you're actually having a conversation with the king, with the president, with someone, or with a ruler, with someone who has power. That's what it was like for him. And I was thinking, you know, we just went through Rosh Hashanah, and I remember as a as a kid dreading Rosh Hashanah. It's so long. The prayer starts so early. And there's like 300 pages you have to traverse. And it's kind of stuffy. I'm getting antsy. It's a little fidgety and it takes forever. And when will this finally be over? And that's a, I think a very common experience I, you know, that a lot of people, I think, still have with prayer, prayer, tefillah, something that's kind of, it's monotonous. It's, it's a schlep. We have to do it. You have to dive in. And it's something that we kind of, we we do because we need to do it, but it's sort of like a routine. It's a habit. It's something that you have to do even though you may not necessarily want to do it. You certainly don't anticipate it. It's not like the most exciting part of your day. It's the thing you got to do, get it over with. It's, it's a chore. It's something that we have to do and we would be very happy to get it over with with as minimal pain as possible. So what I want to uh, investigate is number one. Uh, why is it so? Why is it so difficult for us to pray? Number one, number two, how do we break out of this manani? How do we make prayer a little bit more meaningful? I want to note that when I was in high school, there was a student in the yeshiva who did something so bizarre. You know, if yeshiva high school. It was so. It was so unusual. I asked him about it. So every mincha, every time we, we, we were daven, he would pull out from his jacket a tie, and would have fixed his tie every time he died, which is very unusual. In the yeshiva high school, there's no one wearing a tie. Sometimes even the teachers aren't wearing ties. And he would pull out a tie. So I asked him, so why why are you doing that? And he tells me, well, if you were talking to the president, you would wear a tie. We're going to talk to the Almighty. Of course I'm going to put on a tie. That's what he told me. But I think he's the exception. Uh, For most of us, prayer is a chore. It's a task. It's something that we do out of habit, it's something we do, it's a routine, and that's not ideal. So I want to investigate these two points. Number one, why is it like that? Number two, how do we how do we change uh, that uh, that format? Uh Rabnoah Weinberg, of blessed memory, he was the founder of the yeshiva and Asha Torah, he used to say that a prayer, he gives the following analogy, suppose you live in Nebraska or Iowa, his words, not mine, places where people only care about during football season and during election season. Uh, So, suppose you lived in one of those places, and you have a pothole in front of your driveway. And you call up the municipality, you send letters to the mayor, you call up your sent nothing. You get fed up, and finally, you decide, you know what, I'm going to call the president. So, you call the president, you call the White House, of course, no one's going to answer. Of course, right? Voila, the president answers the phone. You tell him, listen, I got a pothole in front of my driveway, it's messing up my cars and my tires. Don't worry about it. We got it. Next morning, you wake up. There's a team of engineers. They're fixing it. It's perfect. It's smooth. That's what he said. Prayer is. Prayer is, and it's a direct line to the Almighty, to the President, to the entity that has all the power in the world. Uh, yeah, and we know that's true, but we don't. We don't cherish it. I don't. I don't. I'm saying we all need to. To us, again, it's 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 a it's a chore. It's a task. It's something that we. Have to do because we have to do it. Why? Why don't we value it for what it really is? We all know that we talk to the Almighty, the Almighty listens. We know that. How come we don't value it more? And what could we do to break out of this perception that prayer is something we have to do? It's a chore. I want to uh, examine an episode in the Torah where we see prayer of different varieties, different stripes, And I think we could find some very valuable lessons that will maybe help us break out of this cycle and use prayer for its uh, power that it has. So this is in chapter 14 of Exodus. The Jewish people are escaping Egypt, escaping Mitzrayim, and it's been 10 plagues, and they had the death of the firstborn, and they're finally free to go. And they leave, and hundreds of thousands of people with children, with livestock, with booty. They got it all, and they're fleeing. And seven days later, Pharaoh decides to chase him down. And he has them surrounded, and they start freaking out. And they start complaining, and they start telling Moshe, why did you take us out? There's not enough graves in Egypt. We're all going to die here. And then the passage says, the verse says, Pharaoh got closer to them. The Jewish people lift their eyes, they see the Egyptians, they're right there, they're terrified, and they scream out, they cry out to God. And there's an amazing Midrash here. The Midrash says something very fascinating. The Midrash says that all this could have been avoided. The Almighty could have either encouraged Pharaoh to stay in Egypt, or he could have destroyed them all in Egypt, Why is this happening? Why did the Almighty take steps to make this all happen so that the Jewish people are put in this perilous situation? So the Midrash gives a uh, an analogy. It says there was a king, and the king was traveling along the way. And along the way, he hears a princess screaming because she's being attacked by thieves. She's being accosted. She's being assaulted. Uh, It's the middle of the forest, and there's a young princess, and she's being attacked, and the king hears it, and she's calling out to him. So, of course, he runs over, and he saves her. And he meets this really nice princess, and he decides, you know what? I want to marry her. So they get married. And, unfortunately, things don't go exactly as planned. Because he was so captivated by the princess and he wanted to marry her, but now she kind of, she tends to ignore him. The marriage isn't going as planned. What does the king do? The king decides to stage another attack on his wife. And he has a bunch of confederates, and they make believe that they're thieves, and they attack her again, and what does she do? She screams out for help again to the king. And he comes and saves her. That's what the midrash says, and it says similarly. The Almighty wants to have a relationship with us. In Egypt, the Jewish people, well, they called out to God, and God came and saved them. But now it's it's been it's been, the miracles have happened, the templates have happened. The Jewish people are leaving. Yes, they have a relationship with God, but they're ignoring Him. So, what does the Almighty do? The Almighty sends the Egyptians once again to attack the Jewish people, and again the Jewish people call out to God. And he comes and he saves them. What this, I think, tells us is two critical points. Number one, that the Almighty wants to have a relationship with us. And that relationship is is prayer, through prayer. It's like, again, the king wants to have a relationship with his spouse, and she's ignoring him. The Almighty wants to have a relationship with us, and we're ignoring him as well. And he really wants the relationship. He really wants us to pray but we're not praying. So what does he do? He goads us into praying. He manipulates the situation by creating an artificial danger so that we will call out to him. What this is telling us is that when we have situations, difficult situations, challenges, even, God forbid, dangers, it may be because the Almighty just wants us to pray and we're not doing it sufficiently. We're not having that relationship due to the normal circumstances, and he's going to manipulate the world so that we will pray. There was a guy who had an office on the 70th floor of the Empire State Building. And one day he was locked out of, uh he was locked into his office and couldn't leave. And... Uh, he decided to go out to the porch and try to communicate with the people on the street all a thousand feet below him. They should come and save him. He was locked in. He, he had no phones. He was stuck and it's getting late. He's getting hungry. He's getting tired. So he goes out to the porch and he tries to holler to the people below. They should listen to him and come save him. So he's screaming as loud as he can and no one hears him. So he says, ah, I have an idea. I'm going to... I'm going to throw money down. And when the people, they see the money on the floor, they're going to look up where the money come from and they'll come save me. So he starts throwing nickels and quarters and things like that. And he sees the people below, it's tiny little people. They're scooping up all this money from the ground, but they're not looking up to find out where the money came from. So he says, you know what? It's obviously It's not enough money. I got to take out. He pulls out his bills. He starts throwing fives and tens and fifties and hundreds. And everyone is just scooping up the money and continuing along their way. So he walks over to the corner and he takes the uh, potted plant and he grabs a handful of uh, mulch of soil and starts chucking it down. And this time he hits the people on their head and they're like, hey, what's that for? And they all look up and then he gets saved. The Almighty wants to have a relationship with us and he gives us all these good stuff and we don't look up. We don't appreciate it. We don't develop and foster and nurture and sustain the relationship. So what does he do? He puts us in a perilous situation to get our attention. It's like the Almighty here. He, he tells the Jews, I'm going to surround you with the Egyptians only so that you call out to me. So what do the people do? They start praying. By Says Rashi. Tufsu umnos avosam. They grabbed on to the craft of their fathers. What it's telling us is, is that prayer is actually quite natural for us. It's something that's the craft of our fathers. This is what Abraham did. This is what Isaac did. This is what Jacob did. This is very natural for a Jew. A Jew gets surrounded by enemies. A Jew is in trouble. What do they do? Right away, it's instinctive, they pray. Prayer is not something which is foreign. And my grandfather used to tell over a story that uh, his student told him. He was, uh, during the independence war in Israel, 1948, he was on a boat in the Mediterranean, middle of the war. And he says, on the boat, there were all kinds of uh, secular people, people that had nothing to do with religion. And this is back in the day where a lot of the people who were uh, the early Zionists were very, ant- they were, not only they weren't religious, but they were very anti-religion. Many of them had, grow- had grown up religious, but because of their associations with all kinds of movements and a variety of other factors, they decided to abandon religion. And this person told my grandfather, he says that they were on this boat together with all these people and it was hit by a torpedo and the boat started sinking. And then he said to a man, all these people right away started praying on the top of their lungs to the Almighty to save them, and this is the example. What, what it means is that a Jew could be very distant from God, at least on the surface, but when thing, when when he really he or she really needs the Almighty's help, prayer is instinctive. Like this relationship that the Almighty wants to unearth by causing us to have. These day, by, by, by placing us in these perilous and dangerous situations, that relationship is pre-existing. It's innate. It's just dormant. It's just not being brought to the surface. And therefore, what the Almighty will do is to kind of evoke this prayer by causing us to be in a difficult situation that we'll need him and we'll call out and cry out to him. So I think kind of to, to recap what we have until now is, is three different points. Uh, number one, that prayer is like a relationship between spouses that we have with the Almighty. It's, it's the the deepest relationship that we could possibly have in this world more than with our parents or our spouses or our children or our friends is with the Almighty. And not only, uh, do we, I guess, theoretically want that, he wants it and he's going to take steps to manipulate the circumstances to have that prayer, and for us, it's really something that's very natural. And I think this kind of raises the question. If prayer is so natural, and prayer is so desirous by us, and by the Almighty, how come it's so unnatural how come it feels maybe so awkward why is it such a task why is it so difficult to do it it's has all these positive benefits to it it's it's this relationship that he wants to foster with us it's something that we have naturally it's the craft of our forefathers why is it so difficult and how do we how do we sidestep so i want to look at a few verses later so the jewish people they're surrounded by the egyptians and they start calling out to god and they might be like, wow, they're calling out to God and he's going to save them. This is, they're acting like their forefathers, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're seizing the craft of their forefathers. Amazing. Wow, look at these Jewish people. They really are calling out to God. What happens a few verses later, Moshe starts praying. And what does the Almighty tell Moshe? Hashem el-Moshe. Hashem tells Moshe, Ma elai? Why are you crying out to me? Why are you praying? Anvi so Tell the people to go. This, if you kind of read this, these are five sentences away from each other. The Jewish people are surrounded. They're in danger. They call out to God. Says, Rashi, wow, look at these Jewish people. They're they're really developing this relationship with the Almighty with their prayer. Amazing. Fast forward five verses. Moshe is also praying. And what does the Almighty say to Moshe? Why are you praying? Why why are you praying? You shouldn't be praying. This is inappropriate to pray. In fact, if you look at the entire Torah... There's only one time where someone is told that you should not be praying right now. And that's here. Moshe is told. The Jewish people are surrounded by their enemies. And Moshe starts praying. And the mighty says, what are you doing? Why are you praying? And obviously the question is, is quite obvious. I don't get it. A few minutes ago, the Jewish people are praying. And they're lauded. Look at these people. They're seizing the craft of their forefathers. Wow, they're praying. The Almighty wanted them to pray. He manipulated the situation so that they should pray. And Moshe does the same thing, or seemingly the same thing, five sentences later, and the Almighty says, what are you doing? Why are you praying? The Jewish people call it Hashem. Wow, that's amazing. That's the right time to pray. Moshe prays, why are, you, why are you praying? Why are you crying out to me? What's going on? Is, is prayer appropriate? Or is prayer not appropriate at this time? So my grandfather, blessed memory, said something, I think, very fundamental about prayer. He says there's two kinds of prayers. There's two formats. There's two types of prayers. There is what he calls a short prayer. And there's something called a long prayer. In fact, Rashi says, when the Almighty tells Moshe, why are you praying? It says, This is not the right time to pray a long prayer. There's something called a long prayer, and there's a short prayer. The Jewish people, they cried out to God, that was a short prayer. That was the appropriate prayer for the time. Moshe was also praying, but he was praying with the different type of prayer, the long prayer, and that was inappropriate. This is the point I want, this is the central point that I want to convey. There's two kinds of prayers. There's a short prayer, And that's one kind, and that's what the Jewish people were doing, and that was appropriate. And Moshe was praying, but he was praying with the incorrect, or at least not the right kind of prayer for this situation. What is the difference between a short prayer and a long prayer? What are these two types of prayers? The answer is like this. The Jewish people were in danger. They needed something from God. They were surrounded by enemies who wanted to kill them, and they had no, way, no place to escape, and they cried out to God because of their terror. By, by Yiru, they were terrified, and they called out to God. Their prayer was motivated by something that they needed. Moshe, Moshe did not seem to be worried at all. Moshe was praying an entirely different t- kind of prayer. He was praying because he wanted to get close to God. It wasn't motivated by the circumstances, by the situation. He wanted to develop a relationship with the Almighty. And how do you do that? You do that via prayer. But what God tells him is, "No, no, no, no. Right now, the Jewish people are in grave need of a salvation. And therefore, the correct type of prayer is a prayer where you want something from God and you ask for it. And it's the short prayer. Moshe was praying the other type of prayer where you want a relationship with the Almighty. And that's a lawn prayer. And Moshe is doing the incorrect type of prayer, and that's why the Almighty says, don't pray this kind of prayer right now. So let me give you an example of how this plays out. Is it a mitzvah to pray every day or not? Well, we know it's a mitzvah to pray, but is it one of the 613 mitzvos to pray every day? So if you look at the Rambam, Maimonides, he says, yes, there's a mitzvah to pray every single day. You look at the Ramban, Nachmanides, he says, no, it's not a mitzvah to pray every day. However, it's a mitzvah to pray when you have a need, when you're in danger, when you're in peril. Then it's a mitzvah to pray at that time, when you need something. What he's telling us is that there's there's something called daily prayer, which is every single day you want to pray because you want to get close to God. You want to develop a relationship with the Almighty. That's the daily prayer. The Ram says that's a mitzvah. That, that, that's indeed one of his 13 mitzvahs. The Raman says, no, no, no. That kind of prayer, that long prayer, the prayer that Moshe did, that's not a mitzvah, torah idic mitzvah. However, the other kind of prayer, the short prayer, the prayer where you need something, that is indeed a torah idic mitzvah. So let me give you another example. The Mishnah tells us. The second Mishnah of Avos, says that there's three themes upon which the world stands. A shlosh ha'olam What are these three things upon which the world stands? It says that it's Torah, avoda, gemilas chasadim. Torah, Torah study, avoda, which means prayer, gemilas chasadim, which means kindness. And the commentaries explain the world stands on these things. Why? Because if you don't have these things, the world stops standing. I mean, If there's a second that there's no one praying and, or no one studying Torah, the world will automatically end. That's what the Talmud says. Everyone's worried about climate change or nuclear war. According to the Torah, the greatest threat to the world's continuity is the fact that people may stop praying or stop studying Torah or stop doing kindness. Now, why would the world end if people stop studying Torah, stop praying, and stop doing kindness? So the commentaries explain like this Our world, this world, cannot exist on its own. It has to have a spiritual energy giving it life. It has to be kind of connected to the spiritual world. For example, the Talmud says that every blade of grass has an angel that is its corresponding angel. And the angel gives it spiritual life. so even though the blade of grass is a physical thing, the angel the spiritual thing infuses it with with life. That's what the midrash says. What that means is that for our world to exist and to have continuity, it needs to be connected to the spiritual world. Well, how do you connect these two worlds? So that's what the mission here is coming to tell us. You have Torah, avoda. Torah, prayer, and kindness, these are the things that ensure that our world is not divorced, is not severed from the spiritual world, and therefore it has continuity. So what does that mean? It means that Torah, we know where the Torah come from? The Torah came from the spiritual world. Moshe goes up to heaven, and he gets the Torah. And he brings us the Torah, but the, the essence of Torah is still very spiritual. When someone studies Torah... What they're doing is, is they're kind of drawing a pipeline down from heaven. They're going up to heaven to study the Torah, so to speak, and then they're doing it here. So they are creating a fusion, a bind between the spiritual and the physical world. And that ensures that our world will have continuity. Well, what about prayer? How does prayer ensure that the world continues to exist? And the answer is it too creates a connection, a bond between the spiritual world and the physical world, but it does it in the opposite direction. If Torah pulls the heavenly world and brings it down here, brings, kind of draws the spiritual energy from above here, prayer is the exact opposite. Prayer takes this world, so to speak, and uplifts it, takes man, takes mortal, fragile, ephemeral man, and brings them up to heaven. It kind of, it ascends towards, towards God. I think what this is telling us is, or this Mishnah, is that there's something called avoda. Avoda means work. It means service. It means, it means prayer. And what that is, is, is man kind of trying to uplift him or herself to God. That is the kind of format of prayer that has nothing to do with what you need. Like we said, there's two kinds of prayer. One, man trying to get closer to God. And two, man trying to ask God for what he wants. Moshe was praying a lawn prayer to try to get closer to Hashem. He was kind of doing the ascending prayer to take mortal man and try to bring man closer to God. That's what he was doing. The Jewish people, it was the opposite kind of prayer. It was descending prayer. It was like, God, we have a problem here. Could you come here and help us? It was like trying to draw him down, so to speak, to your vaccine situation that you have right over here. And here we see is that Moshe made a mistake. Moshe was trying to do the ascending prayer, the lawn prayer, the prayer, the daily prayer, the prayer of a relationship with God, and he was a little bit off course. The correct kind of prayer is what the rest of the Jews did. And they were trying to ha- ask God to help with their needs, the descending prayer, the prayer in the time of need, and they kind of hit the nail on the head. They were praying, so to speak, to, to fill potholes that they had a need, and they said, "God, I need your help here. Can you help me?" And that was the correct prayer uh, for for that situation. I want to suggest that the reason why all of us—I'm making assumptions here—all of us have a hard time praying. Is because we are associating prayer, or at least we're starting from Moshe's kind of prayer. We're starting with prayer of, like, let's try to get close to God. We pray every day, right? Not every day am I surrounded by enemies who wanna kill me. So, in essence, the Jewish people, you know, they were obviously not on the same spiritual level as Moshe. They were more like beginners like us. And to them, when they prayed, they have a problem, they have, they 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 need help, and they call to God. That's kind of like the, the baseline kind of prayer. The, I would say, the way we describe it, the descending prayer. Bringing God here, I have a problem, help me. Moshe was more advanced. Moshe wasn't, he didn't care about what's happening to him in this world. He wanted to get close to God. And I think the reason why prayer is difficult for us is because we are associating it Our perspective on prayer, well, you gotta pray in the morning. And you gotta pray with these words. And you have to pray in Hebrew. And there's a certain place where you go to pray. It's like something that's the daily prayer. That's like a very high level. That's like a man trying to get close to God. To us, that's a very lofty benchmark that maybe we we're not there yet. All of us have things that we want. All of us have uh, proverbial potholes that we want to be filled. We all have needs here. And that kind of prayer, I think, will resonate uh, a lot more. So what I want to suggest is that, number one, the reason why prayer is difficult for us, the reason why it's monotonous, the reason why it's habitual, the reason why it's routine, the reason why it's hard to get us to concentrate is because we're viewing prayer in the format of Moshe Rabbeinu, of, of Moshe, of the lawn prayer, the prayer of trying to get close to God. I think the other prayer is a lot more natural. You have a need, you call out to God. Of course, if you're surrounded by enemies who want to kill you, that's a very grave need. But any need that you have, you could ask God for help. And I've made the suggestion before. I think that prayer... This might be a little controversial. I think prayer from a prayer book from a sitter is much more difficult than prayer just a human, a Jew, talking to God. You know that when you walk out over here, where you walk to the water fountain, or when you're about to go to sleep at night, or whatever, when you're alone, and you could talk in English, you know the Almighty is very proficient at conversational English and also academic English. And you talk to God. You say, okay, I'm taking a test now. Help me. Or I'm dealing with this difficult situation in school or in my family or I'm having a hard time falling. Whatever it may be. That is real prayer. That's what the Jewish people are doing. And the says, wow, they, they seized on to the craft of their forefathers. I don't know if there's any drivers here, but I've advised people in the past – when you're in your car and there's no one there with you, you could just talk in English to God. You're going to somewhere, you say, Hashem, help me. I have this thing I'm doing, help me. That is prayer. You're asking to, Him to help you do what you do, what you want to do. You come, you come to the sitter. It's the same words every day. It's the same order. It's words that we've said before, probably don't even know what they mean. And if we do, did know what we mean, what, what they mean, we don't even, we're not even thinking about it. That's like a higher level of prayer. That's like the daily prayer. That's what where Moshe is trying to get close to God. And of course, I'm not trying to suggest that we shouldn't be doing that. Of course, we should be doing that. But I think a way to develop the relationship, and like we see the Jewish people, like the Almighty says, I'm going to make you have a need so that you will ask me for something. I think that the solution to our problem of the monotony that we associate with prayer is to focus and stress on this point specifically. To pray, to talk to the Almighty in a language that we are comfortable with, which is, for most, I assume, English. And the Almighty understands English. And at a time, whenever you have a need, it could be a hundred times a day. I once, when I was, uh, back to me being 18, someone gave me this advice, and it's, I'm quoting them. But they said, like, forget about the sitter. I'm not, this is not me saying it. It's them saying it. Forget about the sitter. Talk to the Almighty in the language that you know. That's, that's real prayer. When you have a need, you say, "What could, I need help here. Help me. That's real prayer. And I think that's, it's much more natural for us. It's, we say that every day. Like, Gather in our exiles. It's, to us, that's like a lofty thing. You know, that's not, that's not real, so so to speak. That's not really what I want. Maybe it is what, maybe it is what you want. But that, that's a more difficult kind of prayer. That's a prayer of someone trying to get close to God. I think we should try to focus on this point. And that point is that the Almighty is our direct line to Him. When we have a need, reach out to Him at all times. Let's try to remove the artificial barriers. I, I had a conversation with someone recently. He said, "I can't pray. I don't know Hebrew, and they go in the shul so fast." It's a common problem people have. They don't speak Hebrew. We have to. We take it all for granted. We speak Hebrew. We've been taught how to read since we we're little kids, but people don't know how to pray. How to speak in Hebrew, and uh, and they can't pray. I said "Wait, what? Why do you have to speak Hebrew to pray? Prayer is man asking God for what you need." That's what he wants. In fact, he's going to manipulate. He'll give you need so that way you will ask him for, for what you need. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's an ideal form uh, of prayer. So my suggestion here is to kind of, kind of try to reframe what prayer is about. It's not just something that we do in the morning. It's like a period in the day. The Almighty wants a relationship with us. We want a relationship with him. And that is manifested more than anything else by us asking him for what we want. The bottom line that I want to convey here is that, in my opinion, the way to break out of monotony in prayer, the way to make prayer more meaningful, the way to make it more efficacious, the way to overcome this block that we all have with prayer is to try to change our perspective. To think of it not as something that we have to do, that, oh gosh, we have to say all these things and we've got to follow this format. Think of it as the Almighty wants a relationship with us. Everything in our life is there, oriented around Him creating a situation that we will call out to Him. We will have a relationship with Him. And I think if we do that and we think about you know all the things that we want, there's a million things that we want. And all you need to do is ask. And even if you may not be deserving, the answer may be Yes. Because that's what the Almighty is saying. He's Hanun. He is giving out freebies. So my hope is that we, all of us, myself included, uh, will think about prayer a little bit more towards kind of that side. The short prayer, the descending prayer, what's in it for me? Be a little bit selfish. What can the Almighty do for me? And that is indeed going to help us foster and deepen our relationship with the Almighty and I think make the High Holidays a little bit less insufferable and uh, open up a whole portal uh, where we can have a very deep and meaningful relationship with the Almighty.